please stand for the word of God. Today we're going to be reading um, Joshua 1, 1 through 18. And in the blue Bibles on the back of the chairs, that's page 102. If you don't have a Bible at home, please feel free to take one home as a gift from Northridge. That's Joshua 1, verse 1 through 18. Please hear the word of the Lord. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to the fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go into your possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your word... Whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Thus says God's word. Let's pray this morning. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have provided truth for your people, that you have paved the way and you lead your people. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we dive into your word, that our minds would be fruitful and our hearts would be passionate towards the things that we hear this morning. Lord, I pray that you would use me, a lowly vessel, to communicate the truth of your word to your people, that your people would be nourished by your teachings, Father, and they would be upheld by Christ. I thank you for this opportunity, and I pray that all that is said and done this morning would glorify you and bring honor to your name. In Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right. You may be seated. I was excited about this uh, opportunity to be able to preach this morning. Uh, when presented with the opportunity, um, the elders decided that it would be um, a good idea for me to preach on whatever topic the Lord had led me to preach on, which I thought was a great opportunity, because what I'm going to deliver to you this morning is is a truth that hit me uh, very deeply, probably about early last year in my personal devotions, as I was just reading through the word, I hit this first chapter of Joshua and it just struck me. I stuck on it for, for several days because the truth of what is, is put into this chapter is so encouraging and, and leading for God's people. So given this opportunity, I decided, well, I will go ahead and preach on this chapter. And so what I hope to be able to do this morning is to show you what first, what the first chapter of Joshua teaches us and how that helps explain the entire rest of the book. And my hope is that you'll take what you learned this morning and go through the rest of the book of Joshua with your families in the future as I think it would be greatly beneficial. The second thing is teach you what, or is communicate to you what this book and what Joshua teaches us about Christ. And thirdly, what it teaches us about how we are to live for Christ. Uh, people often are intimidated by the book of Joshua. I don't think those intimidations are unwarranted, as there are many events and stories in the book of Joshua that are hard for people of our day and culture to wrap our heads around. The worldly culture often uses the book of Joshua as a means to say that all Christians want is a global military conquest. Many Christians read the book of Joshua and don't know how to understand what God is doing in Joshua in that day. And out of fear of being labeled a militaristic Christian nationalist, they avoid the book altogether only to take note of the few stories they heard growing up in Sunday school, like the story of the taking of the city of Jericho. And don't get me wrong, there are definitely those Christians who would like to use the book of Joshua as a guide to write a book called Christ's Kingdom, Seven Steps for Taking the World by Force. That's definitely out there, and that's not what I'm communicating this morning. What I want to show you is how all these stories and events in Joshua speak of how God uses obedience by faith to accomplish his will on earth. Not that God has a desire to conquer the nations by military force. As we begin this morning, I want to encourage you to open your Bible, if you're still there, to Joshua chapter 1. Pull out your pen, your highlighter, and settle in. So as we dive back in to this book, I have it broke down into five sections. The first section is verse verses 1 through 5. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... 
said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you, all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So the book, the book of Joshua opens by reminding us of the death of Moses, as you would have previously read in the last chapter of Deuteronomy. It tells us that Yahweh begins to speak to Joshua, and it also reminds us he was the assistant of Moses. If you can remember the story of Moses well in Scripture, you may notice throughout many of the amazing events of God that took place around and through Moses, there was always one man near to Moses in the background. This man was Joshua. We know Joshua accompanied Moses at least part of the way up Mount Sinai in Exodus 24 and 32. Joshua assisted Moses in the tent of meeting, Exodus 33. Joshua was trusted by Moses as a reliable witness when he was sent with the other 12 spies to look out or look upon and spy out the land of Canaan, Numbers 13. Joshua also joined with Caleb in faith. They exhorted the people to trust God for victory over the land in Numbers 14. So for many years leading up to this point, Moses has served as a mentor to Joshua and Joshua as an assistant to Moses. But now God is calling up Joshua to lead the people. He commands Joshua, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I'm giving them that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. God is telling Joshua that he's going to lead the people into the promised land and he had, that he had promised them many years ago. The time has come for the people to receive what God was giving to them. The time has come for the people to fight for the Lord of hosts so they might receive or enter the rest that God had promised to them. The rest from war. The rest from wandering in the wilderness. The rest from longing to receive the promised blessing. The rest from oppression from the nations around them. Now the time has come for them to take what God has given them and establish peace in obedience to God. So notice here how God speaks of the gift to them as both present and past tense. Verse 2 says, go over this Jordan into the land that I am giving to them. In verse 3, it says, every place that the sole of your foot touches, the sole of foot will tread upon, I will give, I have given to you. Notice how when he speaks of the promise, he speaks of it as though it had, is it, it is happening and has already happened. You see, when God makes a promise, to us, it may see, to, to us, it may seem as though it is still unfolding, but His word is truth, absolute. It is, it is as though it has already happened. 
There is no exceptions to God's word. What he decides to do is good as done. God goes on to remind Joshua of the land that is to be claimed according to the promise in verse 4. But I want us to take a deeper look at verse 5. Look closely at verse 5. God makes this astounding statement to Joshua. He says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. What a statement. Could you imagine being given a command, a directive by God, and standing there, and included in that, God says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I would hope for most of us that would stir up great confidence. If God told us that we were to go about an endeavor with the promise that it will succeed, that we will not be stopped, what a great confidence that would be. But... Just as we are only human, so was Joshua. Although he had no reason to believe God would be lying here, out of pure grace, God reminds Joshua of his faithfulness to Moses to encourage his faith and trust upon that word. So what I want us to take note here, if you're taking notes, God is big on reminders. God often established things among his people that were to stand as a reminder for generations of the works that he had done. This is all throughout the book of Joshua. Joshua 4, 19 through 24. Joshua made the people take 12 stones from the Jordan River and make a monument that was to be a reminder to the people that God had dried up the river so the people could pass through. After the people had passed through the Jordan River... Joshua sends the people, they stack up stones, and it's to be a monument to them and their children to remind them that God had cleared the path through the Jordan River. In Joshua 7, 24 through 26, they stoned Achan and his family for their disobedience. And taking things from Jericho, they were commanded by God not to take. And because of their sin, they were stoned. And it says that they piled so many stones upon him and his family, it made a great heap. And they named the valley of that place the Valley of Achor, as a reminder to the people of God's judgment upon Achan for his disobedience. In Joshua 22, the people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh come together and build an altar to God for their children, so they would not be forgotten as being a part of the people of Israel in future generations. Those three tribes settled on the east side of the Jordan. The rest of the tribes settled on the west side. And they didn't want to be forgotten in future generations that, hey, those people across on the other side of the Jordan, they're still with us. And the people on the east side would say, hey, those people on the west side, we're with them. We know that even in our time, God has established reminders for us. We are commanded in Scripture to gather regularly for the preaching of the word. It is important that we are constantly being reminded of what God has said in his word. We are left with the institutions of baptism and the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, we are reminded weekly of the work that Christ has done in being our atoning sacrifice. And that we live all the time upon his body and blood. He sustains us by his body. 
And baptism can serve as a reminder of the day when you gathered before the people of God publicly and proclaimed your devotion to God and you're setting aside of the old things and putting on of new life. Church, we are to always be a people who remember the works of our God. We should regularly go to the word of God, hear the stories and commands that our God has said. We should meditate on them so that our faith will be encouraged as we see wonderful things God has done and face the current challenges of our lives today. We should keep the Sabbath day holy to the Lord so that just like in Joshua's day, our children will look to us and ask us, why do we come and gather every week? Why do we take of the Lord's Supper? Why do we baptize? Why do we do these things as a church? And we will look at them and remind them of the things our God has done from generation to generation. God assures Joshua that just as he was with Moses, he will be with him. He tells him, I will not leave you or forsake you. Have we read and meditated on the works of God in such a way that when we face challenges in our life that come with being faithful to God, we are encouraged to know that just like God was with Joshua and just like God was with Moses, he will be with us. We move on to the next section, verses 6 through 9. I titled these, the header I have for these sections are the orders, the orders that God gave to Joshua. In this section of the text, we have three primary commands that are given to Joshua. They are told to go and receive the inheritance that God has given them. They are to obey the commands of God given in the law of Moses. And they are to be strong and courageous. I want to talk about each of these commands for a moment. The first one, they are told to go and receive the inheritance that God is giving them. God tells Joshua in verse 6 that for you shall cause this people... To inherit the land I swore to their fathers. It has been asked before, if God wanted to do something, why does he not do it himself? And God, in accordance with God's good purposes, often God chooses to use faithful men and women to accomplish those purposes on earth. What God is telling Joshua here is that he has been chosen to be that man. This will be messy. There will be war, violence, long, dangerous journeys, disagreements, and even betrayals. But Joshua is called nonetheless to do the work of leading the people of God to receive the promised blessing. We must not forget that even in our time, God is doing things for his glory and the proclamation of the gospel everywhere. And he is doing it through ordinary men and women of faith. There was an inheritance to be received, and they were to go and receive it. They are told to be careful to do all that Moses had commanded them in the law. God told them, God was telling them, look, you're going to go into this land, and you're going to see all kinds of things, all kinds of immorality, Lawlessness, worldliness, violence, idolatry, but you are to remain pure and undefiled. They were to go in and take the land and rebuild under God. 
Not go in and try to take a little bit of that and a little bit of this, this shiny thing and that nice thing and put it all together and merge it so that way everyone would be happy. No, they were to go in and destroy it and then rebuild. And in the destroying and the rebuilding, they were to keep themselves holy unto God if they were to have success. This is because God was making them into a holy nation. To not be like the rest of the pagan, who, pagans who they were taking the land from. They would, they were, there would be no option but to establish a holy nation that would be mixed, that could, would be mixed with unholy practices. Those old things were to be done with and the new things to be established. There could be no joining the righteous with the unrighteous. They were to go in, take the land, without becoming like the people of the land. Sound familiar? And the third command, and finally, they were commanded to be strong and courageous. You may have noticed already, but in, the, in this paragraph, the words, be strong and courageous, are said three times. Now, we've explained time, multiple times here the importance of when the scripture repeats things. The people of Israel were about to go and do the impossible. When you read the rep, of the report given to Moses about the size of the people of the land and study the history of the city of Jericho, you realize that God was taking a group of desert wanderers and calling them to go and take impenetrable cities with great armies, with renowned reputations, and men of large stature. They were no ordinary little ancient villages. No, these were established kingdoms, with men being as large as Goliath in the story of David. This call to receive the inheritance was quite literally an impossible task for any normal people of that day. They would be required to be strong and courageous when they picked up their swords and faced cities that seemed like they were headed for their immediate death. As they would, as they would look upon massive walls with bowmen and men with spears and mighty warriors who seemed to live on the philosophy of violence and war, they would need to recall the works of God in the past and take courage by faith that somehow God would give them victory over this land. So what are we to get from all this? Are we supposed to join our brothers in faith and take up arms as we destroy everything not in submission to Christ and rebuild a nation of Christians? Well, as fun as that may sound to some of you and terrible as it may sound to others, no, that's not what Joshua teaches. But I want us to consider first what this teaches us about Christ. Many of you may already know, may know this, but it gives us a lead on to understand what God was doing in teaching his people through the works of Joshua. The Hebrew name for Joshua is the same as Jesus, Yeshua. That's the same word for Jesus in Hebrew as it is for Joshua. They have the same name. So let's consider the commonalities between Joshua and what he did, and Christ, and what he did. So they share the same name. Both are called 
to obey the law of Moses, and both were to receive an inheritance from the nations. Joshua would receive the land of Canaan and rest. Christ would receive the nations of his people. Now remember those three commands given to Joshua. Go and receive the inheritance that God is giving to them. Obey the commands of God. Fear not and take courage. So as we just formally mentioned, the word teaches us that Jesus, why, if we ask the question, why did Jesus come and die for the sins of his people? Well, the scriptures tell us that it was for the joy that was set before him. It was for the inheritance of his people that he would receive through atoning them and redeeming them back to God. Christ's inheritance is his church. It is the people whom he has called and redeemed and died to save. Second command, obey the commands of God. Christ, according to Hebrews, teaches, was subject to the law. He became obedient to all the law of Moses and lived by it faithfully that he could be a righteous atonement and our king and our leader and our mediator. And the last command, as would be applied to Christ, is fear not and take courage. I know I know of nothing that would take more courage than sitting in the garden and praying to the Heavenly Father, take this cup from me, knowing what was before him. And he humbly, out of love for you and love for the Father and the joy that was set before him, got up and walked willingly to the cross. There is nothing, no man in history has done anything that courageous ever. But Christ feared not, trusted the Father, knowing he would not abandon him to Sheol, as the Psalms say, And with courage he went to the cross and offered himself up. This is the example of our Lord. This is the example of our Joshua. This is the example of of the one who leads the church and the people of God today. So how does that apply to us? For we know Christ set the example, so how do we live in obedience How do we receive the inheritance? How do we obey the commands of God? And how do we walk courageously? Well, let's start with the Great Commission. Joshua was commanded by God to go and receive the inheritance. And Christ in the Great Commission commands us to go and receive his inheritance. Now look with me at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came up. And spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you see? All authority in heaven and on earth has already been given to Christ. Therefore, for us to go and make disciples is to merely receive the inheritance of Christ that is already his and has already been given to us. Christ is leading the way as Joshua did through his church and the proclamation of the gospel and receiving his inheritance. And what are we supposed to do as we go into the nations and make disciples? Baptize them, teaching them to obey. Now, guess what? All the commands of God. 
We are to teach them to obey all that God has said. And to those who might fear, Christ gives us encouragement. He says, behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Fear not, take courage. Christ is with you. Do you see how Joshua is a type of Christ who would come? Joshua actually did not complete his task completely. By the end of his life, there was still more land that God had promised that remained uncaptured by the people of Israel. But Christ will not fail in his task. Christ will reign over his people until he has led them to victory over every last soul that he has died to save, until every soul that he has died to save walks into the kingdom of heaven. There will be no nation unreached by the gospel when Christ returns, and he will not lose even one soul that he has predestined and died to save. Christ reigns. But it's worth asking. If we know the commands of God, that we are to take the land by the proclamation of the gospel, how is Christ doing that today? The simple answer, through the Great Commission. But let's continue in Joshua chapter 1 and see if that can help us out. The next section in Joshua is verse 10 through 11. I have it titled, The Call to Prepare. Joshua Joshua now, after hearing the instruction of the Lord, goes and tells the people to prepare to take the land that is over the Jordan. No successful army in history ever jumped into military campaign without great preparations. And Joshua knew they needed to prepare. Prepare food, prepare weapons, clothing, prepare for a long journey, settle their home affairs. For they were going to take the land. Likewise, we are to listen to the instruction of our Lord and prepare. But we are not to prepare for a physical battle, but for a spiritual one. Second Corinthians ten four through 5 For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Do you see how here how the, the, the language used to describe what we're doing is this, this conflict, this war-type language using words like stronghold and warfare, destroy, captive, We are at war, but it is not a war of weapons. It is a war of truth. And we are to proclaim proclaim Christ. The way you fight the battle of Christ is when you hear the world trying to teach your children or you hear the world trying to push into the culture ideas contrary to Christ. We are to go and to proclaim the truth. Okay, if this is our battle... How are we to prepare? First Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Did you know that the context of this passage is a perfect fit for talking about war And the fight of believers. The context of this passage is conflict. It is a talking about what to do when you find yourself in a situation of suffering 
for righteousness' sake. It speaks of being bold and willing to give a gentle defense for why you stand on truth when suffering for doing what is right. And look, Peter was was very familiar with the need to be bold. He was a very passionate man. Don't forget, it was Peter who cut the ear off of the Roman soldier when they came to capture Christ and bring him before his accusers. Peter was acquainted with violence, but even he here does not speak of of violence, not speaking of raising swords, but raising our voices to speak on what is true when evil comes knocking at the door. We must be a people who hear the call of our Lord and King to go and make disciples and constantly be training in righteousness so we are ready to fight whenever it comes. Why in Revelation, when John first sees the Son of Man, does Christ reveal himself to John as having a tongue that is a two-edged sword? He is showing us that his fight is with his words. Hear that. What Jesus is showing John in that revelation is that Christ is fighting with his word. That is how Christ is fighting and winning the battle. We must prepare ourselves to speak truth. Husbands, you must prepare your wives. Wives, you must prepare your children. Jesus Christ prepared his disciples when he called them. He taught them and he gave them the Holy Spirit. And he continues to pair us by calling us, preserving his word and his commands and giving us his Holy Spirit. Let us be people who are prepared. The next section, verse 12 through 15, is the instruction that Joshua gives to the people. In this section, Joshua turns his attention now to three specific tribes of Israel. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, there were 12 tribes, so why does Joshua address these, these tribes? As of this moment in biblical history, the people of Israel were on the east side of the Jordan River. And the promised land was on the west side. Well, the people of Israel had already conquered some land up until this point. The land that was conquered on the east side, that they had already conquered by this point in the story, was the land that the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had already laid claim to. Moses had already given them that land. Their land had already been conquered. So Joshua now turns his attention to them and gives them three commands. Remember the promise of God through Moses. That God would give them rest in this land. God wanted the Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh to remember the whole promise of God. That it wasn't to just give them rest in their land, but the whole people of Israel were to receive rest and possess their land. He gives them the second command. Your wives and children shall remain on this side of the Jordan. And he gives them the third command. But all the men of valor shall pass over with the rest of Israel and help them take what God has promised to them. Joshua says, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has given to you. He goes on to tell them 
that after their brothers have taken possession, then they can return back to their land and possess it as well. I want us to focus on this command for a moment. It was important to Joshua that these two and a half tribe did not take the attitude of, well, we've got our inheritance, so now you all go and get your own. We want to rest. Let me ask you, is this not an attitude that we see often in comfortable Western Christianity? And is it not something that Christ speaks against? Consider Third John 5 through 8. It says, Behold, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Our attitude should be to love and support our brothers and sisters in faith. We should never be spoken of as being those who are content with our status in our faith and not concerned with helping those proclaiming the gospel to the lost. 1 Peter 5.9 says, Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. We are told to take courage and faith because we suffer. Because when we suffer, we are only joining our brothers in the conquest of Christ, who are already suffering for his cause around the world. We are not to sit back comfortably and say, well, that's your battle and this is mine. God forbid. We are to join our brothers in the, in the fight in whatever way we can until we all enter that final rest and rejoice together. All, all of our final rest lies ahead. We have, by God's grace, found peace with God that our souls may rest. But we have not entered that rest until the battle is won for everyone. Section 5. Verses 16 through 18. The response of the people. Now what is the response to all this? How did the people in Joshua's day, how did the tribes respond to what Joshua was saying? It's summed up in this first sentence. They say, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And whatever you send and wherever You send us, we will go. My friends, brothers, sisters, beloved, I pray that our response to the call to worship Christ with our life in the Great Commission will be this response. Let us pray aloud together, saying to God, all that you have commanded us to do, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Let our lives display an attitude that says to Christ, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Look, if we are waiting to start seeing the blacksmith hammering out weapons for war to prepare for battle, it has already happened. When the Roman soldiers hammered nails through the hands of Christ on the cross, if we are waiting for the instruction of our commander on what we are to go do and say, it's already been said in the Great Commission. 
And if we are waiting for the trumpet to sound that the battle has started, let me tell you, it's already been sung on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came upon the apostles and God's people and the gospel began to be proclaimed to all the nations on that day. Many people think the book of Joshua is all about religious conquest, but the book is actually all about faith and obedience. Joshua was called to go and conquer by faith and remain obedient to God's call to receive rest. Rahab was saved from being destroyed with her pagan people through faith and obedience. She had faith that God would destroy Jericho. She'd heard the stories. When the spies came, she testified to them, I've heard of your God and what he did in Egypt and what he did at the Jordan. And she knew that the God Yahweh, the God of of the people of Israel, would take Jericho. She had faith in what God could do. And the spies commanded her that if she was to be saved, to deliver them and to hang a scarlet cloth on her doorpost. And when they came and raided, they would not raid her family. And she had to, by faith, be obedient to what the spies had said. And because of her faith and obedience to what the spies had said, she was delivered and brought into the working of Christ. Achan lacked faith in God. And because of his disobedience... His family was punished. God had given them a command of things they were to not take from the city when they destroyed it. And Achan, lacking in faith, in the assurance of God of judgment upon those who would disobey, he took. And what happened? He was killed. The whole book of Joshua is about a people who were to obey by faith. The people go on to say... That anyone who disobeys the instruction of Joshua shall be put to death. Now, before anyone gets concerned, the purpose of this passage is not to say that the way elders execute church discipline is by actual execution upon those who disobey God's word. It's not what this is talking about. But actually, it tells us of something far worse does not teach that we put those to death who disobey God's word. But what God, but what scripture teaches us is that those who are disobedient to God's word are dead already. John 3.18. We love John 3.16. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. The consequence of disobedience to Christ without faith is death. And hear me clearly on this. We may not see that physical death yet. But don't worry. The spirit without Christ is already dead. And the body is only but a short time to follow. And reveal the true nature of death just behind the curtain of this life. We are all just a fabric of life away from eternity. Let us not become arrogant thinking, well, I'm good, I've, I've got time. Or I don't feel dead. Believe me, outside of Christ, you are dead. And it only takes one, one swift moment And you are there and the weightiness and the terribleness and the gravity of your death is revealed before you. 
You see, we are already at war. Christ is waging war now against the powers of darkness. And he calls us to faith and obedience. By faith, we obey the commands of God just as Joshua commanded the people three things. By faith, we remember the works of Christ and receive the inheritance. We trust that just as God gave Moses and Joshua victory over the enemy, we do not labor in vain. And we will, and he will give us victory over the land through bold proclamation of the gospel and obedience of faith. Let us always remember the works that God has done and labor in hope knowing the victory is won. By faith we meditate on his every word and walk in it that we might be holy as he is holy. We study the life of Christ and his commandments so that we will walk in righteousness all the days of our life and have good success in our mission to proclaim the gospel. And thirdly, and by faith, we fear not, but we be strong and courageous, just as our Savior, just as Joshua was called to be strong and courageous. Knowing the victory is already won. Our God is greater. Our king is stronger. Our commander is wiser. The victory has been won. And it is received through faith and obedience. We must not fear the powers, the ideas, the ideologies, the pressures of darkness and the culture. But we must press on without fear. Without fear. you'll turn with me in your Bibles real quick to finish out, turn with me to Psalm 27. I believe Psalm 27 summarizes the themes of this passage very, very well. I'm going to read this. I just ask that you read along in your mind prayerfully and thoughtfully and hear the words of this psalm. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arises against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will counsel me. Here he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. 
Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek me, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God, of my salvation. For my father... And my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So church, may we, may you remember the works of God and receive the inheritance of eternal life. May you walk in obedience to God, living holy and full of love. And may you be strong and courageous, fearing nothing in the war of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For he leads his army and his people to victory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that we find in the work of your son. Father, we thank you that you have not left us to be a wandering people going about being pushed around by the wind and whatever comes from the culture. But God, you have given us your word, clear instruction, clear command, and you have given us faith by your spirit and you have given us courage by your actions. And God, I pray that you would help us to be a people who look upon the wondrous works of your hand and we see the mightiness of your strength and your ability to do all that you have set out to do. And by this, we would go boldly and proclaim truth to everyone, God. We would let no soul around us remain unreached. We would not allow our brothers and sisters to go unhelped. And we would not fall to the deceptions and desires of the world, but remain steadfast in faith and obedience to you with all joy and thanksgiving, offering up a sacrifice of worship by songs and praise with true joy to you all the days of our life. We thank you for your spirit and power and strength to do these things. And in Jesus' holy, conquering name, we pray. Amen. Amen. What a joy. What a joy this morning that we stand on the gospel of Christ. If I could have our uh, communion servers come and prepare to serve the church. We now enter this time that Christ has given us in this day to remember his work and sacrifice. And remember how he led the way and opened the door that we could conquer in him. And we come together as a church on these Sundays. And with joy and thanksgiving, we take knowing what he has done. Remembering what he has done. Reminding our next generation what he has done. So if that is you this morning and your faith has been placed upon Christ 
in this joy. We welcome you to come and take with the church. But we ask also that if you have not placed your faith in Christ, that if you have not found that full assurance and hope, we ask that you abstain from the table. And we don't tell you this because we want to keep you from anything. We tell it to you because we care for you. And the word teaches that to take of this is to take and and is to take and drink judgment upon yourself. And we don't want that. We want you to have hope. And so if you're there and you haven't placed your faith in Christ and you haven't tasted of rest and victory, then we ask you to stay. But we don't want you to stay there. If that's you after this service, I encourage you, dearly, please come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor David and let us share the gospel and the truth of what Christ has done that you too could join with us, the church, Christ church, his people, his army and take with joy. So if you have faith in Christ, go ahead and come and grab the elements and return to your seat and we will take them together. Oh, what a time to remember. There's no better day to remember the work of what Christ has done than when we gather together and we get to do it, all being a representation of his inheritance. As we take of the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to encourage you to not just go through the motions and and just think of this as here we go again, doing it again, but really to think and remember the words that we speak. We repeat the same thing just about every Sunday, the words in Scripture of the sacrament that was given as Paul echoes it. Think on those words and remember in your heart. Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. Took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us take the bread. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Father, I thank you that we, by faith, have been given the privilege to remember that, our Lord, although we were not there physically at that time, you have preserved the truth and the wonder of your work, and we can meditate on it and regularly in our hearts remember your wondrous work as we are fed and sustained by your body, your sacrifice. We give you thanks with joy from our hearts and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. If you lift your hands in a receiving position, I'd like to um, speak this benediction over you from First Chronicles 16.
says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name, let your hearts, uh, let Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. His miracles and his judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servants, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Be blessed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are dismissed.